And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. How do? It's Matthew Tosh here, welcoming you to another show. And on the screen opposite, I can see a Steffi Barnett. Hello. Yes, and on this week's show, we talk about mindfulness. And Saski speaks to trans racing driver Charlie Martin. Terry Starr brings us his monthly news extra, and I'll even play you some music. Have you cleaned your stylus, Matthew? Just doing it now. <clears throat> right, let's crack on. Welcome to Shout Out. Uh, Steffi, do people still have styluses? I certainly have on my record deck. Oh, you know, there's something lovely about records and the smell of getting them out and things like that. You, you, you've, you've tempted me to go and open my box. Um, now, no, whilst we <laughs> seriously, whilst whilst we're talking, there are faces appearing on the screen opposite me because we're using this remote technology. I can see Andy Hole. Good evening. Hello, hello, hello everyone. I'm, yeah, I've got Hans Peregrine present. <laughs> Well, it's like doing a register, isn't it? But, uh, Andy Shilton's doing the technical stuff. Andy Shilton. Hello, I'm hiding, sorry. Very good. Uh, obviously, Steph's out. And uh, Terry Starr is on our news uh, Hello. this evening. Hello. Hello good to Matthew. see everyone. Yes. Good to be here. Excellent. Always, um, always good to see you. Sorry, Matthew. Uh, we're, we're all surviving. So, Just Matthew, well. um, what is a stylus? Oh, ouch. Oh. <laughs> Dear me, this is like this charge holder, the kind of late 70s stylus. It's a thing you put on your, it plays a record. It sits in the groove, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and it's very important because if you go back into the old gramophone days, there used to be diamond styluses for those, but now they're like a sort of little, um, sort of a hair stylus. It's a little piece of metal yeah, yeah. with a diamond on the end. I always wonder though, so, if you had a diamond one, would it be too hot? Would it actually wear the record out after a while? Uh, that's hard. why you have. That's why you have to set your tracking correctly, your anti-skate correctly, so it doesn't t- put too much pressure on the record, so it doesn't cut into the vinyl. Well, I yeah, believe, unfortunately, I before vinyl, they were actually made out of shellac for that very they were. reason, weren't they? They so were. The, yes, um, they, they didn't wear yeah. down so much. I mean, if you ever watched Downton Abbey, you'll know the kind of record I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah, yep. and, and they're, also. They're, um, doing um, mobile discos in the 70s and there's a wooden floor and people are bouncing up and down you have to put lots of money <laughs> on the arm just to keep it in contact with the groove really yep. oh my goodness pennies you see, I, pennies yeah yeah yes. I remember the the, the 78s because my dad and my granddad had a collection of 78s which have now been passed to me and uh, we had to go out and buy special styluses to get these things played and uh, and i remember just how fast the record player was spinning around and, uh, and uh, i mean it's terrible songs that uh, mono and really really crackly but very authentic uh, very authentic mm. stuff uh, we're talking of authentic and, and good stuff we've got plenty coming up in uh, this evening's show uh, in this week's show of course because not everyone's listening in the evening of course could get it right some of you listening on podcast as well and we're going to kick off uh, the show with Saski, who is in conversation with a trans racing driver, Charlie Martin. Saski 5. Oh, yes. Hey, everyone. 
everyone, welcome to Shout Out Radio, my Saski segment. Now, in today's current climate, life has certainly slowed down. And in word association, Zoom is nothing more than an online office meeting at home in your slippers. But for this week's guest, Zoom is associated with living life in the fast lane. So it is with great pleasure that I welcome professional British racing driver, Charlie Martin. Charlie, how are you doing? Hi, Saskia. I'm well, thanks. So, you know, thank you for, for coming on and taking some time out to talk to me today. Um, I, I know you are a busy lady. I think what I'd like to start start with talking about is, is your current mission, which is to become the first transgender driver to compete in the 24-hour of Le Mans. That's correct, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's been something of. I'm, you know, I've been working towards for for some time now because Le Mans, for anyone who doesn't know anything about the race, it's, it's, it's arguably the biggest race in the world. I mean, over 250,000 spectators in one place, a global audience of billions of people. It's a 24-hour race that goes on from the Saturday afternoon right through to the Sunday. It happens once a year and it's, uh, it's really about one of the biggest events in the global motorsports wow. calendar a big a big deal but listen obviously with covid uh, the pandemic how has that affected your training for that because it's, it's in september right yeah well i'm not competing at le mans this year yeah. um but i'm competing at the nurburgring and the 24-hour race there so okay. it's like all motorsport which is you know temporarily ground to a bit of a halt everybody's racing online right now and i'm racing <laughs> in the avb formula e race at home challenge supporting unicef that happens every saturday and then beyond that really just just trying to take good take good care of my mental well-being right now trying to keep up with the physical training so i'm doing a lot of cycling every day and you know one thing that i really love about what you're doing charlie is is that you you know you use your platform to create that online presence or that presence that visibility um in general with for the lgbt plus community um and i know um within the motor motorsports industry uh, you've also been part of setting up racing pride and which you're also an ambassador for aren't you yeah that's correct so racing pride was set up really uh, in conjunction with stonewall who i also work with as a sports champion and it's a it's it's a collection of people who come from across the motorsport industry whether they be drivers media you know all different roles but we all have experiences being lgbtq plus within that industry We've come together to try and use our, our experience and our visibility to improve uh, to improve motorsport, to make it a more welcoming, inclusive environment. Because let's be honest, it is a very traditional sport where it, it's very male dominated, and and looking back, there hasn't been a huge amount of diversity. So uh, yeah, it's it's something that we're all very passionate about. I mean, and this is the thing because you know we know transphobia. Uh, still exists uh, homophobia biphobia still exists um and and that's why these these uh, platforms are so so important and yourself as a positive role model what would you tell people from our community who were, were struggling uh, maybe with their, their their gender identity or their sexual orientation because i know you had yourself had to take some time out of the sport originally before you actually went back in you know during your transition didn't you yeah I did I mean I was unable to see anybody like me so I actually gave up altogether at one point mm. and uh, I'm really glad that I did go back because uh, it wasn't you know it wasn't easy but I found support and I just built more and more allies around me so I think I'd say to anybody that 
Well, one thing I found is that when you've spent a long, long time worrying about things on your own and you've not shared your problems with anybody else, it's very easy to feel like it's very easy to compound your problems and make them seem bigger than they actually are in reality. And, And what I found was that actually when I came out as transgender and when I told people, people were a lot more supportive than I imagined they would be. So really, in terms of going back into the sport, Although it didn't all just happen perfectly overnight, it, it was a case of just opening up a dialogue with people yeah. and creating those allies so yeah. that I knew I had a supportive environment where, say, out of X many people, there were, there were so many people that really had my back and really supported me. And yeah. then what happened over time is those people then you know, spoke to other people and more people got to understand what I was going through and became more supportive and I gradually arrived at a point where actually everybody was like, yeah, you know, of course, that's totally fine. You know, you, you are who you are yeah. and we, you know, you love the sport. So yeah. I think it's taking those small steps and, um, you know, just just seeing things that, you know, maybe things aren't going to happen overnight, but you, you just find that support where you find it and, and build it. Well, that's yeah. I mean, and that's great, and that, and it's great to hear from, from someone like you know yourself who's been through that experience, particularly with your career that you're so passionate about. I love on your website that you've got your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. And I think that's something that we should be leaving with everybody in these in these times, and also going forward, just to be the best version of yourself. To know that it's okay to be who you are. You know, you you can reach the top. Things will work out. I think your testament to that. So 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 Charlie, where can people people find you on social media yeah so instagram or twitter at go charlie m great stuff and uh yeah that's that's where you'll find me or just search go charlie which is my uh yeah that's my kind of thing fabulous well charlie listen as always i wish there was more time and i'm going to catch up with you again soon but thank you for coming on and i look forward to speaking and seeing how you get on with the race for lawns go charlie for me thanks Dasky. <laughs> really pleasure to be on the show Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. No mercy. Are you okay? Yes, perfectly fine, thank you. I was referring to the artist, No Mercy. Where do you go for your music, Matthew? Ah, I see what you did there. Well, I have a cupboard, and this isolation business has meant I've been able to dig out some old records from under the stairs, and there are more on the way. Heaven help us. So good to have a supportive and understanding producer. Um, what's happening now? The news. Quick, hit the jingle. This is Shout Out News on Thursday the 28th of May. Paul O'Grady's career as a broadcaster was celebrated by Channel 5 on Saturday evening. In a show called 25 Years of Paul O'Grady, the programme also looked at his outrageous life 
before becoming a regular fixture on British television during the early 90s. He had trained as a social worker and appeared regularly in his drag persona Lily Savage, one of the first really radical and authentically queer drag acts to break through from the gay cabaret circuit via the more underground nighttime offerings of Channel 4 TV. A man of many interests, Paul O'Grady has strong memories of the decimation caused amongst gay and bi men in London during the AIDS pandemic, and through his mainstream success has a farmhouse in Kent where he tends to tends to organic herbs and vegetables and where he cares for a considerable number of animals. The hour and a half documentary on Mr O'Grady is available to view again on Channel 5 On Demand. These are perilous times for women's rights in Russia, so reports Radio Free Europe, the famous dissident radio station beamed from Germany to countries where media is tightly controlled by the state and where the rule of law is subverted by governmental thugs often posing as what they term traditional values campaigners. In Russia, such groups and individuals are given a partial pass by legislation passed in 2017, which severely undermines women's advocacy groups and allows for some domestic violence to be committed by a man against a woman quite legally. One lawmaker in the lower house of the Russian parliament, which is dominated by white, heterosexual and frequently ultra-religious parties, accused groups campaigning against anti-female violence of undermining marriage. Even so, women's rights advocates continue to work hard for victimised women across the vast Russian state. One organisation, the Anna Project, continues thanks to the kind grants given it by Avon, the celebrated British cosmetics firm, which is also marking 30 years of producing its first international ethical policy, which saw it partner with ecological and animal welfare groups. The Anna Project will be launching an expanded helpline with 24-hour capacity soon. Radio Free Europe adds that currently just 10% of Russian women feel able to report domestic violence to the police. In a scenario which is already familiar to LGBTQ people, or punk rockers, Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups that fall outside the Russian state's idealised family, the police rarely arrest perpetrators and are frequently openly sympathetic to them. So for the time being, it's up to women, men and all others who support women's rights in Russia to help build a movement in the country for mutual aid and solidarity with the country's female population. Sirian McKellen, one of the most prominent gay actors and indeed activists, has asked his many fans to consider buying the Big Issue newspaper, which is currently being sold weekly at branches of the co-op Sainsbury's, McCall's and other supermarkets. He writes, During the lockdown, street vendors of the Big Issue have been devastated. For many of them, their only source of income has vanished. Until they are once again a reassuring sight as we walk our city streets, please do what you can to support them. The Big Issue, which has been a familiar street-sold newspaper for the last 30 years in town, and cities across the United Kingdom is a long-standing friend to the LGBTQ community, championing our needs and concerns in the context of positive and uplifting reportage. With street vendors currently unable to sell to the public, the magazine has, for a temporary period, struck a distribution deal with the newsagents and supermarkets. It retails at £3 and all profits are ploughed back into charities working with homeless people. Meanwhile, one of the many people who thanked Sir Ian on social media for his backing of homeless newspapers reminded people that in other cities across the globe other street papers were in need of support. They include Street Sense, Washington DC, Street Sheet, San Francisco, Streetwise, Chicago and Real Change in Seattle. All are accepting donations to help their vendors. 
And finally, what's funny about a strand of programming on BBC Radio Digital Network 4 Extra took a look back this week at Absolutely Fabulous, the hit television comedy series that began in 1992 and ran until a finale in 2012. John Plowman, the programme's first producer, recalled how the show was first brought to the screens, whilst Jennifer Saunders remembers how she developed her character of Edith Monsoon. The documentary also looked at how the show commanded such a huge audience and chimed with the camp over-the-top humour of young gay people in the 1990s. However, they were just part of the story, with a stellar cast and a postmodern sensibility also making a big impact on how the series was received. As with many programmes on BBC Radio 4 Extra, episodes of the What's Funny About Strand are available to listen to again on BBC Sounds. For these news stories and more, check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Terry Starr and Hans Peregrine. Shoutout News. National and international LGBT news for you. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Nina Simone and My Baby Just Cares For Me. And the caring theme brings us nicely to our main interview this week. There's no doubt that this is a challenging time for many of us. And no, I don't mean listening to me on the radio. I am, of course, referring to the government guidelines and social restrictions that most of us, respectful, caring and considerate people of this country, have been able to adhere to over the past few weeks. If, like me, you've been checking in with friends and family, we can fall into a trap of being so preoccupied with other people whilst trying to cope with everyday life that we end up doing this at the expense of our own mental well-being. And this is where mindfulness can help some people. And our very own Tara Fraser spoke to Donna from the support organisation Talk to the Rainbow about mindfulness and caring for ourselves. Hi Donna. As one of the founding therapists at Talk to the Rainbow, I understand you were once a mindfulness practitioner, or you still are, before becoming a therapist. And I was just wondering if mindfulness can help us in this current lockdown and perhaps afterwards as well. Yeah. Hi, Tara. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I discovered mindfulness uh, before becoming a therapist and the journey itself was a really fabulous uh, and interesting experience. And yeah, let's focus in on, you know, now the way things are at the moment. Lots of people are in different situations, suffering in different ways, kind of trapped in homes, maybe really lonely uh, and kind of feeling perhaps fear or anxiety Uh, maybe just really craving that physical contact and mindfulness can really help us by coming into the present moment because we know and evidence tells us that where our attention is really determines our state of mind our health and well-being and during this situation and experience I think people are really noticing how the mind is really scatty and all over the place or we might be experiencing that fear or anxiety in our bodies And the way to help ourselves is to see if we could find a way to come into the present moment. That sounds sounds really scary. (laughs) Yeah, and it can be. It's not easy. It's a really difficult uh, process in one way because we are always kind of living in a a version. We don't want to have to feel what's there. We don't want to have to stop and feel it. And so we have that tendency to be maybe feeling really agitated or restless and we'll just continue kind of keeping ourselves busy. 
And actually, it's counterproductive in the way that if we do pause and stop and come into some sensations in the body, either the breath, um, feeling the feet on the floor, or sounds, and the various other ways of doing it, it can really help us to experience the suffering in a different way, and it gives it a sense of freedom. It just needs a little bit of space. And is that not counterintuitive in terms of, you know, you feel into what the pain is? Yeah, and it sounds it sounds scary, and it sounds like the last thing you want to do. But actually, what people report is that when we bring curiosity to that experience, when we can pause and follow the breath, I mean, the breath helps us and eases us and allows us to be with these kind of sensations in our bodies in a way that supports us being able to give it some space. And when there is some space, those kind of feelings can have some freedom and there can be a shift. So I understand we're going. you're going to go through a, a little mini session today? Absolutely. We're going to have a little taste of it and see. It's a very tiny little taste, and so it will, you know, certainly at the moment it's it's just something that may give you a, a, a some sense of what I'm talking about. So I'll hand it over to you. Thank you very much. So let's experiment. Let's see if we can bring a curious experimental kind of focus to this. Knowing that you have the choice to let go of the instruction, to move, listen to your bodies. This is about developing a relationship with your bodies. We spend so much time in our heads. This is about getting out of our heads and into our bodies. So taking a moment to find a posture, a position that maybe feels held. So that could be by a bed, by a chair, but that there's a sense of being held, but also upright, upper half of the body rising up lower half of the body really sinking down into the ground. Seeing if you could feel the weight at the lower half of the body, that sense of gravity. Contact with whatever it is that's holding this body. So the invitation is to allow the eyes to close. And if that feels uncomfortable, let them be open. You could lower the gaze and soften on something in particular. That way of allowing our attention to to just for a moment shift into the body. And this is not easy. By any means, the body can be a very painful place And this is why we spend so much time lost in thoughts, future and past. So taking it easy, being gentle, letting your awareness really sink down through the body like a pebble being dropped into a well or a pond, the way the attention could slowly sink down through this body of water all the way down into the feet. Seeing if you could sense where the feet meet the floor. And that place of contact. Maybe you could sense the toes or the sole of the foot or the heel. Maybe there's a warmth or a coolness the floor hard or soft and the mind will wander all the way through 
this is the practice. So when you notice the mind has wandered off, well done. That is it. You have noticed and you've woken up to the present moment. So at that moment, bringing your attention right back firmly and kindly into the feet. The feet in contact with the floor. Taking some time, slowing things down. That is the practice. Noticing when the mind has wandered and bringing it back to some focus of attention in the body, in the present moment, which is the feet right now. So that sense of noticing sensations in the feet, that maybe there's a numbness. What does it feel like? Can we be curious about these feet, the toes? Letting our attention play with this kind of shape of the foot. Those places of contact. So allowing a shift, so moving the spotlight of attention all the way up to the legs. And maybe if it's possible, imagining the breath flowing all the way down to the feet and all the way out from the feet, experimenting with this and letting attention rest in the legs, the shins, the calf muscles, the knees, just for a moment, sensing that part of the body. And maybe there's a feeling of weight through the thighs, this kind of solid base at the lower half. So taking a moment to stay with that presence of contact and then shifting once more up to the breath, following the breath and the rhythm of the breath. These subtle movements that the breath makes a bit like the waves. Seeing if it's possible to follow the in-breath and the out-breath, like the waves, the rhythm, the pace, the sound, the breath at the tip of the nose, the rising and the falling of the chest and the belly. And then expanding once more to the whole body. Checking in with what is needed. What does this body need? What does this mind need right now? And just letting it be. Letting go of any focus of attention and holding the body in your mind as, as a whole. And when you're ready, opening your eyes and raising your gaze. Well done. Hey, thanks for that. I'm feeling really relaxed now. I'm just wondering about actually people who just experienced that, eh, how they might be able to process that, you know, because it might have opened up things they weren't even expecting. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, it is a very powerful practice. That particular practice, you know, was a very grounding 
practice, anchoring practice. So we didn't really delve into you know the difficulties of the experience itself. So it's a very gentle practice, but it is really important to take care of yourself, to really check in with what you need. That might mean that you just get up and walk around, or you know, there's various ways to be with this. Really important, if you feel you want to take this forward, it might be worth contacting uh, talktotherainbow.co.uk just to kind of find a way to check in and I can give you information, people information about who they might want to go and see or speak to because it is a, it is a journey that's worth really worth doing. It's really beneficial. I understand that it's sometimes like a course. It's something you can do in so many sessions. How, I mean, what is that typically? Yeah, so the mindfulness-based stress reduction is an eight-week course and it's a really good way of learning these tools and skills in a, in a managed kind of way and you come out the other end and you have, all, you have these, these kind of practices. It's like a toolkit for life. And there's any other way for people to kind of uh, get a bit more of a taster or anything else? Yeah, so every time that we run uh, courses, uh, that I run courses, I offer taster sessions. And there are various people running courses. But what's really important is that those teachers are in line with the good, good, line, the good practice guidelines because they need to be qualified. So it's really important to check their kind of qualifications and make sure they're the right people. Okay. Thank you. The Shout Out Podcast. Podcast. For more information about Shout Out Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shout Out. LGBT Radio for you. Oh, good to get a bit of Frankie Goes to Hollywood into the show. Uh, two tribes there. Ah, now it's the time of the month where Mr. Terry Starr presents us with his news, Mac. Terry, what have you got for us this month? Well, uh, it's been 30 years, believe it or not, since the founding of one of the most important LGBTQ human rights groups, an organisation called Outrage, which was founded at the beginning of May 1990 at a meeting of about 35 people at the old London Lesbian and Gay Centre, which was in Farringdon. doesn't exist anymore. But uh, Outrage uh, was the most militant uh, LGBTQ group since well since the Gay Liberation Front itself of the early 1970s, Britain in 1990 is a different place than it is today. Still characterised by high levels of homophobia, although there were promising signs that younger people's attitudes were going to change. Just two years before, in 1988, Section 28 of the Local Government Act was passed into law, which prohibited local authorities from offering services to LGBTQ people by dint of a wide-ranging clause that specified that they should not be, quote, intentionally promoting homosexuality. Uh, On the other hand, 50,000 people had marched in 1988 against Section 28 and the Stonewall Lobby Group had been founded and from the start was closely associated with Ian McKellen, who we mentioned in the news earlier. He'd come out on a debate uh, on BBC Radio 4 that year. So there was also radicalism in the air. If you remember, uh, those of you that were around at the end of the 1980s, Mrs Thatcher was set on implementing the poll tax on every adult Mm. in the UK, a move which would lead to riots, mass refusal to pay and civil disobedience. So it was against this background that a direct action group for LGBTQ politics was formed. Um, The impetus was the tragic and savage kicking to death of Michael Booth, a young gay actor. Keith Alcorn, Chris Woods and Simon Watney, Simon Watney was already an established HIV and AIDS activist, uh, called the meeting and other people to lend their support to the new group were Peter Tatchell, 
who was already a well-known public figure because in 1983 he'd fought the Bermondsey by-election for the Labour Party, one of the most viciously homophobic campaigns in parliamentary history. Keith Alcorn came up with the name Outrage, which was designed to capture the outrage the group intended straight society to feel as it gave expression to LGBTQ anger. And Peter Tatchell used his experience to draft a set of demands which became the group's mission statement, which said, Outrage will be a broad-based group of queers committed to radical, non-violent, direct action and civil disobedience to 1. Assert the dignity and human rights of queers. 2. Fight homophobia, discrimination and violence violence directed against us and three affirm our right to sexual freedom choice and self-determination so the first outrage action took place on the 7th of june at hyde park public toilets to protest against metropolitan police who were entrapping gay men who were cruising um, and this attracted some media attention uh, and one of the defining images of outrage was taken in september 1990 when a group or uh, when the kissing at Piccadilly Circus took place to protest against the arrest of gay men for kissing in public. Remember, it was actually illegal for uh, same-sex couples to kiss in public I, at this my particular goodness, time. I can't, I can't even remember, remember that. that. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, this is all stuff from my sort of uh, my my teens. Um, but actual kissing was illegal in public. It was. And I think they got it under something like uh, breach of the peace. Uh, legislation and so there was all this sort of stuff happening as I say you know it was a very radical time and outrage was one of the LGBTQ responses to the atmosphere of the AIDS crisis that was section 28 and so on and um, it became associated with outing some celebrities you may remember um, something which split gay groups in both Britain and the United States what we're going to do is pop up on the website a little essay about outrage in its history because it's far too much to consider in just one sort of 13 minute piece for the radio but I thought we could have a little bit of discussion about um, where we think political militancy is today for the LGBTQ movement I mean groups like Transmedia Watch and Daily Reporting uh, vilification and downright hatred being exhibited towards an essential component of the lgbtq rainbow nation do you think that direct action has a place today do you think that groups like outrage should be reforged what do people think i certainly think there's a do there's an issue with with some people not even actually understanding why we do uh need to make a noise because some people say well why does it matter why can't you just be yourself uh, which is one of the issues because uh, you can't always be yourself and people saying you know, it's, it's not relevant to everyday yeah. life and I think there is a misunderstanding uh, and it completely overlooks uh, issues that are still out there at the moment particularly around trans mm. and biphobia uh, so I personally uh, I'm going to come in very quickly and I think yes there is but I think it still needs to be done in a sensitive uh, way yeah, I think there's, al there's always the risk that, of course, you annoy people. Can I mean, that happened a little bit in Bristol with ecological protests last year with Extinction Rebellion. I suppose it's part of a wider discussion about how polit political aims are achieved. But I think in the yeah. 1990s, LGBTQ radicalism was something that needed to happen because the papers were against us and there was a lot of bias in, in public life. Uh, and certainly... Um, by taking direct action and civil disobedience, some things did change. Andy, I, you were going to say something. Sorry. Yeah, I, that's all right. I think that we have sort of we have changed quite a lot in society, 
and with the focus on social media now a lot of people that would be involved in direct action in the 90s are actually doing it via social media now so with the likes of twitter and facebook and sort of other sort of almost self-created media and youtube we are actually in a way fighting back and using that direct action by sort of doing it online rather than sort of actually going out and sort of doing it to disrupt things in person Mm. um i think there's there's still a case for it in some circumstances it just needs to be done in the right way um Mm. when we take the protests that happened um with extinction rebellion back in the uh, last summer that did sort of set people off on the wrong foot and people got annoyed with it and it lost mm. i personally i feel it lost the message that it was trying to convey because it actually mm. did the did the wrong thing if you're going to take direct action on something you still need to be sort of very much with the pe- with the people you're trying to get rights for you're trying to fight for if you're alienating them you're not actually doing the thing that this sort of not get the message across in the best way mm. uh, i don't I think know it's really good practice it's a really good point there because you're, you're absolutely talking you're absolutely right you're talking about what you really want to do is engage with people that don't understand yes. or maybe have a different yeah. viewpoint rather than alienate and if it's a little bit too brash you know people just need a bit of a moment to particularly in Britain we're terribly British and we, we don't like changing our views very quickly <laughs> it's just but we don't I think that we are conservative yeah. with, a, with a small c as, as yeah. a, a kind of species really yeah yeah, I think um, um, events like Pride um, and the sort of growing numbers and just the sort of whole experience um, going to a bigger and bigger scale every year is probably in itself something that really makes people sort of sit back and pay attention, even if they're not that aware that they're doing it, because, you know, corporations, businesses, um, massive businesses um, are also supporting the LGBTQ movement, um, Mm. you know, such as clothing brands, um, for example, and um, I'm trying to think, restaurants and McDonald's and, you know, places like that are really sort of putting it out there. Yeah, Tesco, Sainsbury's, yeah. Yeah, Marks and Spencer's. Yeah, and that's a big change that's taken from the 90s when it was still very much small businesses and radical bookstores and independent mm. shops that are the most that would support um, Pride. You know, it's, you know it, it has changed really radically. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose it brings us very quickly before we finish. Do, has anyone got an opinion on one tactic which was associated more with queer nation in the United States? And if you read the little piece we're going to pop online, that was a, a group with fraternal links to outrage, but more associated with the United States. They were uh, involved with outing quite a few people against their will, polit- politicians, mm. clergy, and so on. That raised a big ethical issue on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, did outing achieve anything? Do you think? Oh gosh, I mean, I think it would have to be looked at on an individual level and why mm. people targeted specific people. Because I'm going to make the assumption that the people they focused on maybe were people appearing to be anti-LGBTQ? That's correct, yeah. That, yeah, was, that so. was the criteria that was often used by activists in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, I don't, personally, I don't actually know how I feel about that, um, but I can understand um, the, what went, you know, the thought process that went behind it. Well, I, th- I think we have to look in the UK at the other things that were going on in the 90s, so a lot of our tabloid newspapers at the same time were also outing um, politicians they were outing sort of celebrities and things like that so I think in a way it was fight, it was trying to fight back at those 
outings that were happening in the mainstream media by actually Indeed. saying, well, it, it can't be one rule for us and one rule for them. It, it, it's difficult because I don't think it's right in any sense. Mm. But I think when you look at what was happening at the time, it was people fighting back with the situation that they were presented yeah. with. Yeah, and I think if you're being directly impacted by somebody who is standing and and speaking um, hate, who you know is actually part of that community secretly, that must be incredibly hard. Yes, and I think some of our tabloid newspapers were deliberately almost outing people, and it was some of the people within those newspapers were not happy when they were outed themselves. And I think you've got to yeah. you've got to look at that in the media that was happening at the same sure. time. Indeed. Because again, it influences why those decisions were made. And I suppose it brings it full circle, doesn't it? Because although that kind of negative portrayal of lesbians and gay men predominantly has ceased now, thanks to the actions of, I, I would say, Outrage Stonewall and other groups as well, we are still living through a period where um, certain newspapers are very hostile to transgender, uh, non-binary and intersex people, for example. Mm. So uh, I suppose, again, it comes round full circle um, has anybody here actually been on a been on a, a, a protest, maybe for um, LGBTQ It's been on Pride marches, I suppose. That's that yeah. might be, but not 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 anything else. And then we, I remember the vigils to, towards the end of you know trying to campaign against the end of uh, Section Twenty Eight. Uh, there were some mm. sort of candlelit vigils. I seem to remember those. They were more yeah. peaceful than anything. Mm. Um, yeah. Listen, I, I'd hate to interrupt, but whilst we have been recording, um, and this is quite topical, we've had some very sad news come through, and that is that the US playwright, author and AIDS activist Larry Kramer has died. He was aged 84, um, and he was very vocal about um, about uh, people uh, suffering from AIDS. Uh, I think he, he was, was he not HIV uh, positive himself as well? Uh, he was, and yeah. um, he he kind of was there at the beginning. He took out a personal appeal, he called it, in one of the gay newspapers uh, after the um, about 41 gay men uh, contracted what was then called gay cancer because they didn't have another word for it. Oh. So right from the start, and he co-founded Gay Men's Health Crisis and the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power ACT UP, which is still there today, still campaigning on coronavirus at the moment and <laughs> taking on the American establishment. So it's very topical and very sad. We'll do a full obituary for the for the programme next week. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Legend. it's a name... Legend. Yeah, it's a name I certainly... It's like, you know, people say Larry Kramer, I think... I know that name and, and I, I have to confess I don't know a huge amount about him and I, I look forward to or the circumstances are, are very sad I do uh, look forward to, to, to learning a bit more uh, about him and his life and what he achieved um, in next week's show so thank you very uh, much yes. guys very poignant and interesting discussion thank you yeah thank you Terry and uh, you. yeah topping off with that very sad news about uh, Larry Kramer who's died at the age of 84 more on that in next week's show but right now though it is coming to the end of uh, this week's show because once again the hands on the clock have caught up with us and it's time to wind things up you can listen again and find previous shows on our website showtakeradio.lgbt Shoutout was presented by Steffi Barney and me, Matthew Tosh. The news was edited by Terry Starr. Studio production was by Andy Shilton. The executive producer is Steffi Barnett and the show is made at BCFM in Bristol. 
Thank you for listening. We'll be back at the same time, same place next week. Until then, we say goodbye. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you.